delightful little true sons and daughters. I'm John Miller, and this is Locked on Mizzou, your destination for partisan Missouri Tigers football and basketball talk five days a week. Thanks so much for listening, sharing, and reviewing on good old Apple Podcasts and anywhere else where you get these wonderful shows. And today joining me will be Cole Thompson from Sports Illustrated and Locked on Aggies. We have a fun conversation about how the Buzz Williams era has started in College Station. We also get into Jimbo Fisher and Aggie football, previewing, of course, Missouri's basketball game on Tuesday with Texas A&M. And also, with very much thirst in my voice, I ask him, do the Aggies miss us? Do they miss us? Is the cross-divisional rival? Well, find out coming up next with Cole. I'll tell you one thing. Uh, one thing I noticed about Texas A&M, they are an absolutely dreadful three-point shooting team, even worse than Missouri, believe it or not. But anyway, I just wondered. They're the worst in, they're the, worst in the league. Yeah, it's 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 not good. They uh, everybody's below thirty percent except for maybe Savion Flag might be over thirty, if I'm correct. But so how is I think the, it's thirty-eight percent? Yeah, just to uh, remind myself and the audience, just refresh my memory a little bit. What exactly happened at the end of the Billy Kennedy era there? Because you know it seemed like for a long time that A and M their program was going along pretty nicely there, and then suddenly. One bad season, and now Buzz Williams is here. What exactly happened there with uh, Coach Kennedy? You know, from what I've been told, because I just joined the beat a little, not too long ago, but what I've been told is that the move was they wanted to get a more innovative, offensive-minded guy to come into the program. Kennedy continued to show regression over the past couple months, and with the loss, I think it was in the second round of the SEC tournament, missing the postseason for the second straight season, they had a chance to go get a guy who they believed in. Buzz Williams was a name who was kind of rising in the ranks to become one of the better coaches uh, in college basketball. And he also had ties to the program with Ross Bjork taking over as the new AD. They want to go in a new direction. They want to continue to build the program. That's where the Williams era really got started. And he's known for creating programs that were struggling into contenders. He did it at Marquette. He did at Virginia Tech, and now I do believe he has A&M heading in the right direction because if they are at least going to maybe not make the tournament this year or even next year, but they're trending in the right direction with the young talent they have in college station. Who is uh, who, who do you think is the most important young guy that they have that you might look forward to if you're an Aggie fan? Oh, it's Andre Gordon, easily. This okay. is a freshman 6'5", who I think is going to be someone you look at on paper and you see his his numbers on top of you just see his size and physical attributes you look at all that combined and he's right now averaging an sec play 15 points per game i believe he's about seven rebounds on average a game i think he's shooting uh i think he's shooting like four assists he's consistently the number two guy behind josh nebo he's a freshman if he stays he doesn't declare for the draft he's going to be someone you can build a program around with Emmanuel Miller uh, from Canada. You put those two together, you have, you're in the right direction for a Buzz Williams era to begin with two really sound guys, uh, definitely, especially at the wing and at the front court position. So what style of play does Buzz Williams want to instill? Like, what what is his identity, essentially? Uh, definitely it's a lot of fast-paced offensive execution and sound defense. 
that's been his main style. The way that, according to uh, the players this past week when we went to the media days and we were speaking to them, it's all about finding a rhythm with the plays. So they'll actually take about one or two practices to to perfect a play because they're so into finding the proper direction, finding ways with defenders, how they're going to be able to get off blocks, watching the zone read. And that's a lot of uh, man defense. You have your big guys playing down the post. You have uh, guys like Andre Gordon and Savion Flag playing up top. Uh, they're not really leaving their position. They're kind of playing in a box formation. You don't really leave your box, and then you only come up for the rebound. So it's a lot of fast offensive execution and man defense. And that's been something that Williams has instigated since the beginning of camp. He said that by week, uh, by month four of his time in College Station, everything was starting to finally get together. And it's looking more and more like that they're playing a man style uh, down in the paint that allows them to at least be kind of close in the rebounding. They were out-rebounded their last two games, but against Vanderbilt, they were able to actually out-rebound the Commodores because uh, they were playing so well inside the paint. Nebo, and I believe it was Flag and Miller, all had at least eight rebounds. So I think they were able to go 43-34 to 34 in favor of their rebounds that game. March Madness is right around the corner. If you want to win your office pool, you need to stay caught up with all the college basketball action with the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Every Monday, Andy Patton and Isaac Shade recap the biggest stories in college basketball, keep you up to date on the NCAA tournament bubble, and get you ready for the upcoming week of games. From the Big East to the Mountain West and everywhere in between, Andy and Isaac have college hoops covered on the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. So you you mentioned Josh Nebo there. One thing I've noticed just statistically, he really jumps off the page as quite the wildly efficient near-the-rim scorer. I think he's second in the nation in E field goal percentage, your uh, fancier field goal percentage, I guess, adjusted by opponents, something like that. So, and it draws fouls at also the second best rate out of anybody in the entire country. Talk to me about Josh Nebo a little bit. What what kind of game should we expect from him? Well, he's a big guy, and that's the main point. You're going to find him around the rim. You're going to find him making plays. Uh, definitely more so, you know, under the basket. He's going to be a guy who will wait for the three point shot. Uh, one thing he's very well known for is his ability, because of his six foot nine frame, to be able to go up and dunk the ball off of a rebound. So he has the ability to stay in control underneath the basket. He's also, I think, leading the SEC with 2.8 blocks on the year. I think he has uh, he's averaging 7.2 rebounds, and he's averaging 19 points to lead scorer for A&M. When he's in the paint, He's always going to be a threat to score and get a rebound and be able to keep offensive production going for A&M because of his size as well. So you look at all of those numbers combined, he's a guy that you don't want to play one-on-one with. You want to be able to outbox him when a shot is up because if he gets that rebound, 9 out of 10, he's going to get the points and he's going to put A&M in a good position to score. Yeah, for sure. It sounds like it. I mean, certainly statistically, that's that's what it says on the page. That's for sure. How do you feel like Savion Flag has adjusted to life under Buzz Williams? It seems like he's been around forever to me, but he's only a junior. How's Flag played this year? You know, he's had his moments where he's looked like the true leader of the offense, and that's what you want for a veteran guy. A guy like Nebo is certainly going to be a name to watch for because of 
he has the ability to really make plays because of his size. The flag is your sharpshooter. That's what you want from him. And he is leading the team in three-point field goal percentage. Uh, but he's had his moments where he struggled to get field goals, regular jumper shots inside the paint. That's where the struggles rely, and that's where you start seeing a guy like Gordon really becoming more the face of the offense for this A&M, for this A&M basketball team because if he instead is getting more points around the rim and you have a guy like Flag who's kind of being the assist, the Scotty Pippen uh, or the John Stockton making more passes than he is actual points. But he still is a threat to score. Uh, I definitely think that he right now is the guy you want to take that three-point shot even though the entire – a&M team is the worst in the nation in, in three-point shooting. But you add all that together, I definitely think that there's a role for him in Buzz Williams' offense. Maybe he's not at the level a lot of people thought he would be this season, but he's doing pretty well for himself overall when you look at the numbers and when you look at the team as a whole. He's still a top three in scoring. He's still a top three in assists. He's number one in three-point percentage. He's done a lot to keep this team afloat. Yeah, it sure sounds like it. Well, you were, you were mentioning earlier that A&M really took a shot on Buzz Williams, paid a lot of money. Well, certainly they did that in football as well with Jimbo Fisher. How do, you, how do A&M fans feel so far? How do you feel about the Jimbo Fisher era so far at, down in Texas A&M? I think you have to ask like, multiple different people, and, and every answer is different. Some, especially main fans, are going to wonder why the heck you know Jimbo is being heralded as a top offensive innovator and a top offensive-minded coach, when in reality, maybe this is the best A&M could have been this year with 75. I mean, you look at it, in two seasons, he's had winning years. He's gone every single season uh, with at least eight-plus wins. He has 16 total wins in his career, uh, 17 total wins on his career. And he has A&M trending in the right direction with recruiting. Back-to-back-to-back, top five recruiting classes. With the addition of Zach Evans, a guy they're looking at at the running back role, potentially they could be in the top three for recruiting this upcoming season. So overall, you look at the numbers, you look at this past season. They're the first team in college football history to play the number one team three times in a regular season. Then you have to also look at this A&M team. They were the first team since 1975 to face the AP's preseason top three. Add all that together, this was a rough year for A&M. It gets easier in 2020. They're playing teams like Fresno State, um, uh, North, uh, North Texas, Abilene Christian, and their Clemson out-of-conference game is switched out with Colorado, who struggled in the first season under the Mel Tucker era. Throw in Vanderbilt instead of Georgia – this is a team that probably should be 10 and 2, 11 and 1. And if not, that's when I start thinking that you wonder what's going on with Jimbo Fisher. Keep in mind, Dan Mullen and Fisher were both hired in the same season to change the programs of Florida and Texas AM. For Mullen in year two, even with a back quarterback to Kyle Trask, they were able to go get 11 wins and go to a New Year's Six Bowl. Meanwhile, A&M is struggling. They haven't been able to get to that next level. Year three has to be the year where Fisher finally gets it all clicking together because everything is going a lot smoother for them. And if not, that's where I think concern comes in. So for A&M fans who listen to maybe in out in Missouri, wait, give it one more year. But next year is the year where you can start being frustrated because I completely understand you pay a guy $75 million to change the program. You want a winning culture. And he's brought in wins, but he hasn't brought in that winning culture just yet. I know you just said, I know you said you recently joined the Texas A&M beat, but you know, 
you may be aware and you may not be, but Missouri and Texas A&M, when they first came to the conference, they were the permanent cross-division rival. In other words, we'd play in football every single year. But a few years ago, for whatever reason, they decided to flip that. Now Missouri's cross-divisional rival is Arkansas. A&M's is South Carolina, I believe. What do, do, do A&M fans have any feelings about that whatsoever? What, do you guys miss us is what I'm arguing desperately? No, I mean, seriously, though, like, would you prefer Missouri or you, are you fine with South Carolina? Is it kind of six of one, half dozen of the other? I mean, here's the crazy thing. I, when we went to the Texas Bowl, I was up there talking to Mike Gundy, and he you know, was talking about being an originalist with the Big 12 program. And that's where I think you look at these two teams with Missouri and Texas A&M. They were the two programs who joined the SEC in 2012 from the Big 12 Conference. So when that came into fruition, you figured they would be the two playing against each other. And with the history of the two in the same conference for over two decades, you definitely would want to see that rivalry back. But at the same time, I'm also one who believes that doesn't matter if A&M is in the SEC and Texas is in the Big 12, the Lone Star Showdown should be happening every single Thanksgiving. Sure. And every single person that I spoke to this past season when I did my big story on A&M and Texas and the rivalry was the rivalry kind of has died on both sides. So I don't see many A&M fans actually missing Missouri but it's not because of it's Missouri. I just think that they're just so used to playing at a higher level, a higher caliber, quality type of schedule, and they believe that they you know, are able to play against any single team and come out on top. They don't really care because even games such as you know the UT rivalry, that's been a big issue in the past where everyone, when a game like that happens, everyone gets so excited that it's back, but it never really has made it to that next level. So I'm not saying that Missouri fans and A&M fans probably don't miss each other. It's just not at the front line from everything that I've gathered this season. Right. Yeah, I just thought that was maybe an interesting to hear from your side because from our side, uh, you know, the Arkansas thing makes a lot of sense geographically, but so far, you know, the actual rivalry hasn't really manifested itself in any real meaningful way, in my opinion. But, you know, I, and I, we did share some pretty good history with Texas A&M over the years. You know, they were joined the Big 12 in 1996, I believe. So, yeah, I just thought that was interesting to get your point there. And by the way, uh, by the way, Cole, I've been hogging the reins here. Feel free to uh, ask me about uh, Missouri. Well, let's just get this out of the way. With now this Missouri offense that struggled this past weekend against uh, against in Tuscaloosa against Alabama, that's been something that you know I wonder is that going to be the problem moving forward with this team because they actually have looked like one of the more proponent teams at offense in the SEC, and now they've just been struggling their last two games. Is that something to look forward to as maybe an issue? Well, well, frankly, they've struggled offensively for most of the season, really, and it's just gotten worse with Der- Jeremiah Tillman being completely out but you know this team is it's they're just not very good at shooting the basketball to put it quite simply you know we don't get the worst shots in the world but you know we run this offense that is definitely slow paced we, we slow it down and you know we we hunt three-point shots kind of like Villanova or something I've heard that comparison made but we don't have the kind of shooters that Villanova had in their heyday that's for sure and you know I, I just don't see it changing at this point we're at the point where this team is what it is, and what you saw against Alabama, and you saw it against Florida, too, in a much more effective way, but 
when Missouri puts its head down, their guards put their head down, drive to the lane, get to the free throw line, that is at least a a, a recipe for decent offense. Probably not great offense because we're not good enough to then capitalize on the kickouts to open shooters, but when Missouri doesn't do that, boy, they're dreadful offensively. They really are, and they look like they looked against Mississippi State down in Starkville. Absolutely, I get that. Now, just can you talk a little bit about Jeremiah Tillman and Mark Smith and Drew Smith, what you've seen from them? Uh, mostly let's go with Tillman and what you see from him in the paint defensively. Well, you know, Tillman's going to be out, unfortunately. But, you know, while he was there, uh, he's, he's a very, very talented player, uh, especially – just in terms of his pure physicality. He's he's big, he's strong, he's relatively quick and athletic for his size. You know, he can dunk the crap out of the ball around the rim, that kind of deal. But he's always just struggled with being under control, being able to manifest all that strength and power into more productive ways. Because, well, as anybody who follows Missouri knows – there's con- he's constantly in foul trouble. That's a big problem. And, and frankly, also, his emotions can get to him. He gets frustrated when he's being double teamed and not necessarily passing out of it in the best ways. And I think he gets in his own head a little bit at times. But, you know, I, again, I think with Tillman, you know, if he does come back, you know, it's, it's the same old story. He's just got to be a little bit better, a little bit smarter with how to use his body, essentially. I feel that. Now, Kunza Martin, the head coach, third year in the program. This is a year where I think every single time you look at a basketball program, by year three, you're either heading in the direction you want with your team or you have to start fresh. What is it that you're hearing, maybe something that you are believing or just overall with what you've seen this season? Is he safe for another season as the head coach in Mizzou or could there be a guy in the rain stepping up to become the next big name? For the Tigers program? Well, just a little inside baseball stuff. I think contractually, I think it's going to be almost impossible for Missouri to get rid of Conzo Martin, barring some sort of NCAA scandal or something, until I believe after next season. So he's probably safe, but to your point, if, if that weren't the case, I still think he'd probably be safe for another year, but the reality is you have to admit, and I, I've been a, a champion of Conzo Martin, so I, I take no pleasure in admitting this, but you have to admit that we're trending in the wrong direction right now. Now, you can make excuses for him. Again, Jeremiah Tillman injury. Well, Jonte Porter was out all last season. Michael Porter essentially missed the entire his first season. So you can make excuses for him, but unfortunately then the off-the-court thing we were expecting that Conzo would reel in some bigger recruits, and so far that just hasn't been the case. And that, that's that's really the tough part. If it'd be one thing if we had a you know a guy like uh, Caleb Love, who's a St. Louis guy, if we had him in the fold or something, you'd be more optimistic. But the four and five star guys have just not materialized yet. So yeah, I gotta admit it's it's not looking great for Conzo, but. There's no question he's going to be back next season. So at this point, if you're a Missouri fan, you've just got to hope it gets better. I think that's always the case. You want to see your coaches get better, and that wasn't what happened with, of course, Barry Odom with the football program. Well, now you have a guy in Eli Drinkwitz who is going to be the new head coach of Mizzou, one season as the head coach at Appalachian State. Just what have you gotten the feel of him and his offensive play calling because of he did keep the Mountaineers in contention, even though Scott Satterfield left. Is it a positive reaction to get a new head coach, even though it may not be 
the biggest name that is out there for a program in the SEC? Sure. I, I'm I'm personally am optimistic. I, I like Drinkwitz a lot. I, I like the vibes I'm getting from him. I like everything about the guy so far. I really do. And yeah, I think I think when Mike Leach was hired, I think some Missouri fans asked themselves, gee, could we have gotten Mike Leach? Because obviously Leach is a very big name. Well, just recently I talked to the guys over at Locked On Bama, and Jimmy Stein, I thought, made a really good point. He said he thinks it's 10 years too late for Mike Leach, that if they'd have hired him 10 years ago, that'd be perfect because he was ahead of the curve offensively, especially compared to the traditional SEC programs. But now you've got LSU and Alabama are the best offensive teams, essentially. They're running the most advanced stuff as anybody. So I thought that was a really interesting point. And to that point, I think Drinkwitz is more of a forward-looking guy maybe than Leach at this point. You know, just a young cat, about 36 years old. I'm, I'm really optimistic. Now, it's going to take him some time. It's not as though he's just going to immediately start reeling in bigger recruits than Missouri's ever gotten. We're always going to probably recruit at about the level we have. I just think the key at Missouri is, is you know, being forward-looking with scheme, and obviously you got to develop players because you're never going to recruit with Texas A&M and LSU, those kind of programs. Definitely. I totally agree with that. But, you know, the SEC East is always kind of a crapshoot, especially when it's down years with Dan Mullen and now – Kirby Smart at Georgia, anyone can win. And that was proven with Gary Pinkle. First two seasons in the SEC East, and Missouri is the team representing the division in Atlanta against Alabama, against Auburn. While they didn't get the win, it still shows more than what A&M was supposed to do, who was expected to be actually in contention immediately when they joined the SEC West, and they're still looking for their first divisional championship. But back to basketball, we know that the game's going to be played tomorrow. You have the home field advantage. Does that lead to a home victory for you guys, or could A&M be a team to actually upset you guys in home? Uh, I could definitely see A&M winning this game. I'll I'll pick Missouri again just because they're at home, but it does seem that A&M may be trending slightly in a positive direction where it seems like Missouri is trending the other way. So uh, quite frankly, this is a game that Missouri has to win if they if they have any chance whatsoever of playing postseason basketball. And I'm talking the NIT at this point. Like the NCAA tournament is almost off the table at this point to me. But if they're going to be above 500, have any kind of a season, they got to beat A&M or this thing's really going to skid off the road, I think. What, what's your feeling? What's your prediction? Definitely going to have to be scoring in the paint. That's the main thing. You watch this team against South Carolina this past weekend. It was a crapshoot, three for 24 in the three-point range. They were never able to get those yarded. They were never able to get those points behind the arc. They struggled to get rebounds. They were out rebounded. And, you know, don't get me wrong. When a team squits at the school record shooting 16 three-pointers in a basketball game, you're probably going to walk away with a victory. But it was the inconsistencies of this team scoring in the paint. They held two leads the entire game, one with five minutes in the, uh, in the first half, and then two, their second lead was with eight minutes left in the game. After that, it was another three-pointer that just led to more issues. It never looked like this was a team that was going to be taking the reins. I don't know if you can see that. Buzz has this team looking at times like a real big threat. They're definitely a tough defensive team, but they're not there offensively. It could be a struggle win for A&M at the most, but it could also be a blowout for, for Missouri. It's all based off how I think A&M shoots in the first five minutes. 
All right, that'll do it for this episode. Join Blake and I after the game tomorrow for all our thoughts on the Missouri-Texas A&M game. And thanks to Cole Thompson once again for coming on. He was a great guest, and you can follow him on Twitter at Mr. Cole Thompson. So until next time, I'm John Miller, and this has been Locked on Mizzou.